Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I am excited today to have Pastor Charlie Parrish back with us. He is the lead pastor at Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. Charlie, it is uh, wonderful to have you back again. Hey, John, it's always a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, we need to do this more often. And uh, folks, today we're going to we're going to take on a challenging topic that is is one I just soon not talk about uh, personally, but it's it's an important topic. It it hits close to home for just about everybody now, and that is transgenderism. The whole thing, uh, the, all, all things related to transgender, and that that's a topic that is important in our society today. And Charlie, I'm wondering if we could just start with the creation account back in Genesis. And it's no secret to this audience that um, man was created on the sixth day. And God said, and this is uh, chapter one, verse 26 of of Genesis uh, in the English Standard Version. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then he goes on in 27, he says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Can can you just talk about that for for a couple of minutes? God's, God's intended purpose for man from this creation story that I just read from. Yeah, well, you know, when we're speaking of transgenderism uh, and, of course, the LGBTQ agenda, that's the clearest verse you can go to. I mean, there's many, many arguments we can make against it, but the creation order uh, is very, very evident that God created male and he created female, and that was God's good order. Uh, We don't get to redefine creation, uh, even though we're seeing that play out right before our eyes today. Uh, It is a rebellion against God. It's a kicking against the goad, if you will. Um, we were talking off air about Romans chapter one, and this is a clear display of, of rejecting the truth of God's word. Uh, you know, Romans talks about, uh, I've heard it said before, there are no atheists. And it's because God has, as Romans one says, displayed himself through creation, through the created order. So people know that there is a God. They know that there is an authority uh, but they stop their ears and, and they scream against that, uh, not only with their words, but with their lifestyle, flaunting it, saying, I, I'm not going to uh, to be a part of the way God has designed things. And they can argue all they want. They can claim that they are a different gender, you know, all they want. Uh, but it's basically speaking lies. It, it's like, you know, it's like when we were kids saying that we're Superman or Batman. It's fun to pretend, but uh, when you get older, you, you either are 
are realistic or you get put in a crazy house because God created man and uh, woman. He created male and female. Uh, and, and it's absurd to argue against uh, what God has done. What is, as Romans 1 again says, what's evident before us. It's crazy to try to argue against that. So again, it, it's just a changing of God's order. It's a, it's a rebellion. And, and there, are, there are transgender people uh, who I have heard and, and even witnessed before my eyes claim that they love God and they are just part of his created order. But actually, they hate God because they are screaming against what he has done, what he has said is good and right with their lifestyle. Well, that's right. And there, there's there's so much there to talk about. I'm wondering if you, um, because you look at things from a very pastorally helpful way, and I don't always, I'm not always good at that. I'm wondering if you could talk about why in our society is this an issue now? It seems to me that, you know, I don't know how many years ago, certainly 10, it, it was, you know, there, there, there are uh, videos of politicians who are saying that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman who, who now embrace transgenderism. And, and, and wh- why is that? Why, why in our society today is this embraced Whereas just a few years ago, it would have been uh, thought of as uh, as an absurd notion. Yeah, well, under all of it, there's satanic forces at play. There, there's uh, elemental forces that uh, you know we fight against uh, principalities and, uh, and satanic forces. That that's number one. But number two, we're seeing a lot of postmodernism that's been on the on the rise for many many years. And what I mean by that. For anybody listening, uh, it's basically the notion to say that uh, there is no truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You know, and we yeah. can all just believe whatever we want. But when you go down that rabbit hole, it sounds very nice and friendly, and let's all get along and believe whatever. But what you've done is say that there really is no truth at all. To say that your truth is a truth and my truth is a truth. Well, in reality. Either your truth is true or my truth is true, but they can't both be true, <laughs> if that makes any sense. That's right. Um, one, one is right and one is wrong. Uh, so that's the postmodern mindset that believe anything you want to, and it doesn't matter. You can, uh, If you say that the sun is orange or you say the sun is blue or purple, yeah, it, it is blue to you. And it's, it's absolute insanity is what it is. So I believe, number one, or, or number two, the postmodern mindset has played into it. And I also think that our world is embracing uh, these godly ideologies. Uh, they're embracing uh, things like, uh, you know, transgenderism. They're embracing things like um, critical race theory. Uh, they're embracing all of these different ideologies in our political system, even. Uh, and it's being popularized by the world. Uh, you can go into the school system, and this is a, a growing fad, transgenderism, and it's because it, cause it's it's the uh, it's the new cool thing to do. It's the it's the the way to get attention. So I believe that's mm. playing into it. But, but at the bottom of it, again, satanic forces, and more than anything, it is a postmodern mindset that has been growing. Uh, I would say for the last twenty years, maybe more, uh, and it's finally coming to a big head, and we're seeing that. You you talked about Romans one, and we've we've talked many times together about the progression of sin in in the lives of people. It seems to me that that occurs on an individual basis, and by that I mean as we sin, denying who God is, 
and we're, we're born in rebellion to him. No one seeks after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Paul makes this so clear in Romans three and, and scripture makes it clear in lots of other places. But I, I like that section because it's got those 14 counts of sin and it just, you know, you read that section and, and you walk away just desperate until Paul transitions to, but now, and talks about the finished work of Jesus Christ. But, but in our sin, as we continue to sin, Paul says, God gives us over to a debased mind. We go, we go further and further and further into sin to, until we get to the point where uh, it, it becomes okay to us. And he says at the end of that chapter, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it open, but something like, uh, we not only do these things, but we celebrate with other people who do them. We, we start, yeah. we get to the point where we celebrate sin. And yet you and I always talk about how God is long suffering and, and gracious. And yet we continue to sin. And eventually th- th- it's a form of death, isn't it? And aren't we experiencing, would you call this what we're living in right now, this period, even some of the judgment of God for sin in our society? Absolutely. It's God turning a man over to the desires of his heart. Uh, as you pointed out in Romans 1, that, that's what happens when we continually uh, stray away from God. And he, he allows our heart. In fact, I dare say that he does. He's the hardening agent of the heart. Um, it's like, uh, you know, in, Ex- in Exodus, you know, with Pharaoh, you know, God, God hardened his heart. And yep. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but God was the hardening agent. And if you look uh, at that account, how did God harden his heart? With his word, with his justice, with the things that he did, with the plagues. Uh, you know, he hardened it with his word, his uh, statutes. And it's the same today. The person who would rebel against God, they are hardened in heart because of God's word. They, they don't like what God has done or what God has said is good and right. And so they find any way they can around it. What's sad is even within the church, I mean, you've seen uh, the Methodist church right now is going through a terrible, you know, dividing over this issue of of homosexuality and transgenderism. This is the United Um, Methodist uh, denomination. Yes, absolutely. The Presbyterian church has battled this. And and sadly, uh, the Baptist church, uh, you know, the SBC has even had issues within within itself of going back and forth about uh, on this issue of, of where the line is of, of acceptance and non-acceptance. Well, talk, talk about that for a second. I could spend an, an hour with you on, on just this, the implications of our sin, the implications of the fall. That's a big topic, but to keep us on track with transgenderism, you you just hit the nail on the head. There are those, if you live in a postmodern culture that says that your truth is your truth, you have a, a meta narrative is the, is the popular way to say it uh, philosophically where you, you've just embraced a story to try to explain uh, the difficult issues, the big ideas of life, the important things philosophically. And you've, you've got this meta narrative based on um, maybe your DNA, maybe how you were raised, your parents, your neighbors, your whether you went to church or not, and that that's all just part of your mer- meta narrative. And we can all have different meta narratives. We can all and we can all be right. I mean, they don't really go that far, but they 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 say that it's bigoted or unloving to call somebody else's lifestyle wrong. And yet, on this podcast, I try to regardless of the discipline, regardless of the guest, regardless of the subject matter, stay firm on biblical truth. 
uh, and and you know we're all sinners. I am not this 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 purist who says I figured all this out and I just can't wait to impart this to everybody. But but I do want to proclaim known biblical truth. And and so what do you say to people who are listening? Because you know we we are to be loving. Uh, we we are to be gracious. We are to be generous. But how do we do that in the context of of this whole transgender movement? How do we call it out for what it is the way we're doing here and also love these people well who obviously have some serious emotional and we know spiritual needs? Yeah, um, well, there are definitely secondary issues of the faith, and these are issues that we can disagree upon. Immersion and baptism sprinkling. I'm a Baptist, so I believe immersion. Uh, I don't believe that somebody who is a Presbyterian that believes in sprinkling is a heretic. <laughs> it's a secondary issue, and we are going to be in heaven together uh, singing, and uh, one of us will be right, uh, right when we're standing before the Lord. Th- those are examples of secondary issues, and there's many of those in the faith. However, the issue of transgenderism is not a secondary issue. Um, and we know that because of Scripture. Um, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, 9. But the Apostle Paul lists uh, a, a line of sins that are damnable, that, that are deserving of hell. And one of those sins, among the others, is homosexuality. He mentions that. And, you know, when we talk about these sins, you know, which which fornication is a sin, and uh, a sorcery is a sin. You know, there, there are many different sins. Here's the, the thing, though. I've heard homosexuals, I've heard transgender people say before, well, we're all sinners, and even if this is a transgression against God, he, he forgives, he loves. But I think people misunderstand the difference between sinning willfully and sinning and then being repentant over it. Um, in First John, First uh, John chapter 3, it talks about those that live a lifestyle of a practice of sin. And that's the word used, a practice of sin. Those that are practicing. And what, what that means, imagine it this way. When I was in high school, or maybe when you were in school, you had maybe a practice. I had football practice. I knew that I was going to that practice every single day. I knew I wanted to go, and I knew there was nothing that was going to stop me from going. That was a practice. And it, it's the same way with our sin. You know, First John, again, says those who practice, that is, those that willingly are saying, I am not turning from this. It is something I enjoy, and I'm going to do it. That's a practice of sin. Those are the ones that are practicing sin that will not inherit eternal life. Homosexuality is one of those practices of sin. It, it's not. It's not the same as stumping your toe and saying a curse word. You know that is a sin as well. But but when we sin, when I, we, I was hoping you were going to tell me that one was okay. <laughs> yeah, but when we say use that example, when we stump our toe as Christians and say something we shouldn't say, immediately we we fear that we feel that pain in our heart to say I shouldn't have said that. You know, and we repent and we're sorrowful before the Lord. Homosexuality is not a sorrow. It is a willingly thumbing the nose at God saying, you're going to accept this because this is what I want. In other words, there is no repentance in the lifestyle of homosexuality. Now, if a, if a person is a transgender individual and they have come to the knowledge of the Lord through his word and they repent of that, they walk away from that lifestyle and they're living anew uh, as God created them. 
then absolutely they are forgiven in Christ. Uh, God, God can and will forgive that. But walking arrogantly in that lifestyle, saying that God must accept this and I will not turn, that is what the damnable sin is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Talk for a minute. Uh, and you, you just made me think of this as you were talking there about sexual sin in general is a an incredibly difficult uh, topic. And there are sections of scripture. Uh, I just happen to be reading in Ephesians this morning where Paul talks about um, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but he he, he basically says those who engage in any, any lists some sins will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and talk about that principle because within this conversation about transgenderism, there are probably a lot of people, particularly I'm familiar with lots of ministries and have friends who run ministries to the LBGTQ community for people who do have regrets uh, that the sin they once embraced, they now, they, they've repented and they are Christ followers and, and they still drag that baggage around with them. Um, talk, talk about the, the forgiveness that is ours in Christ just for a moment, if you would. And then I want to come back to transgenderism specifically in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me just note as I get there that, um, you know, we're talking about transgenderism and homosexuality being damnable sins. Uh, fornication, that is a man sleeping with a woman, uh, is a damnable sin if it is not repented of outside of marriage. Uh, that, that is, if someone is making a lifestyle of this, they're, they're not married, they're continuing to, to, to bed hop or, or to sleep with one's uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, and it is in a uh, non-homosexual relationship, that also is a practice of sin. Uh, and we want to be clear about these things, that we're not, you know, pounding on uh, the homosexuals here. Uh, the, the most loving thing that we can do is to preach the gospel and preach the truth to them. Now, to those that you were, you were saying, those that have repented of that lifestyle, those that, that are walking anew. Um, I believe it was Martin Luther that one time uh, wrote that Satan reminded him of his sin daily. And he would reply to Satan, uh, I believe verbally, what of it? My Savior has died for me, and His blood, His perfect spotless blood covers me. Uh, I am washed anew. He has taken my sins away. It is as far as the East is from the West now. And that's the same for any person, the homosexual, the, the, the murderer, the adulterer, any person that has walked away, that has repented uh, of a former lifestyle of sin. That is no more. Uh, if they are truly walking and following after the Lord and have truly repented of that sin, meaning that they're not walking in that anymore, uh, then, then they are washed clean and, uh, and their, their sin is no more. Christ has taken that from them upon himself. Uh, and, and they stand before God justified, not because of a decision they've made or anything they've done, but because of the spotless blood of Christ. So the sufficiency of the finished work of Jesus Christ is what we hold onto in terms of our, our forgiveness by God. Uh, it is his sufficiency and his finished work that we cling to in repentance. Absolutely. That's the only thing we have to cling to. Uh, our works don't play into that at all. Furthermore, I would say we would not even have the ability to repent had God not changed our heart first and given us that desire for him. So everything when it comes to salvation is due to God of nothing that we have done. It's all of him. And would you say a, a good test of 
if a person hears this and they say, oh, they had to bring all that sin up and and a person really does struggle with that, with Satan, the great accuser, accusing and causing memories, the prompting memories and just our flesh remembering sins in the past. Wouldn't wouldn't you say that there is a we can rest in promises? And I, I can't remember where this is. I want to say it's in Matthew. It might be in several of the Gospels where. Uh, Jesus says, all the sins of man shall be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Isn't there, isn't there tremendous comfort in, in various sections of Scripture for that person who struggles? Absolutely. And that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is speaking of that, the person who would constantly kick at the goads of the drawing of the Spirit, you know, and, and yeah. reject Christ. And so, and so wouldn't, um, couldn't, couldn't we also say that, an indication, and we we get this from First John and lots of sections of Scripture, and an indication that a life has been transformed is our loathing, our hating the sin that we once took pleasure in. Absolutely, and and uh, you know, let me be clear: when we come to Christ, when Christ changes our hearts, we are still in the flesh, and we will still have sinful desires at times. Uh, You know, I've heard it said before, this is a very popular argument when it comes to the homosexual agenda, uh, LGBTQ agenda. But I've heard so many uh, of those that are in that lifestyle say that God made me this way, that I can't help it. I cannot help that I'm like this. Uh, God made me this way and there's no, uh, you know, no way around it. But here's the here's the problem with that argument. God has called uh, homosexuality sin, uh, just as anger is sin. Now, now here's the example I use often. If it's true that God made us just to live and walk in our sins, you know, let, let's imagine for a moment that that I had a terrible anger problem, uh, and somebody cuts me off as I'm driving down the interstate. Uh, if I ran that person off the road, got out of my car and beat them almost lifeless and then said, well, God made me with this anger problem. I I just can't help myself. Uh, That would be ludicrous. Yet that's the same argument that the LGBTQ uh, plus agenda, so-called Christians, they would say they are, uh, are using right now, that God made me this way. Well, then we need to apply that across the board to the man that's on death row who kills somebody who says, look, I can't help it. I was made this way. Or, or the person that's a pedophile that would say, I cannot help my desires. God made me this way. When you use that argument, you open up Pandora's box to justify any sin. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What what would you say? And I, I, I don't want to get into too much speculation, but as you think about as a pastor and I know you've encountered it before, as you think about transgenderism, where are we going wrong? Where is a person, uh, I mean, I mean, you could talk about the physicians who are doing surgeries to children and all the rest, but, but, but fundamentally at our core, where, where do we as a society go wrong with transgenderism? Why, why, and and I'm I'm asking you to speculate a little bit, but why does a person fall prey to that thinking? Do you think, as a pastor? I think uh, within the bounds of Christianity, um, within the church, I think that it's one of these things that um, we need to be nice, we need to be accepting, we need to be loving. Uh, unfortunately, that's a message that is far trumped 
the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the depravity of man for decades is this message of acceptance and love. And if we're Christians, we just uh, treat everybody, you know, with love, accepting whatever they do. Uh, and that has that. That's another thing that's been bubbling for a while. Doctrine has been disdained uh, for many years, and it's been this attitude of just claim Jesus, and as long as you say His name, everything's acceptable. And to our detriment, now we're reaping the fruits of that. Uh, where we live in a society now that will point to the church and say, "You've been preaching love, 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 accept, accept, accept." Now you need to walk in it. And I think the church now feels pressured by the world to be viewed as this loving entity. And, and that's far cry from the gospel. Uh, I think it was Bodie Bauckham who said, uh, there's a new commandment. It's the 11th commandment, and it is thou shalt be nice. And he said that commandment trumps the others. Um, well, it, it's really sad. You know, you're, you're on to something there. And there is tension in the truth, isn't there? And, yeah. and, and we talked about postmodernism. We've talked about our society, societal drift and, and changes even in recent years, this progression towards this debased mind. But there is there's tension in truth telling. I can feel it even as we're having this discussion. I can imagine being a listener and I, I've got some friends who I'm thinking of right now. I'm thinking of a mom who, who, who has a transgender child. In fact, I'm thinking of three of them who I know and and love talk about that for a minute because you are so again pastorally helpful how are we to those of us who know the truth and 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 we we believe everything you just said you talked about all sexual sin we talked about the lbgtq we talked about fornication we talked about uh, transgenderism and so so we've gotten to the place where we call it sin we know it's sin we know it's a problem we know that Christ is entirely sufficient. So we've addressed some of the the bigger doctrines here, but but how do we minister to to families uh, who are who are struggling with this, who have uh, children or adolescents or young adults who struggle with this? Could you just talk about a few helpful principles that we could maybe employ? Yeah, I, I think that families who are struggling with this fall into the same problem of. You know, mothers and fathers, they feel that, that they don't want to lose their child. So they'll, they'll accept them as they are and, you know, uh, condone their lifestyle um, because they don't want to lose their child. But, but I want to pose this, this alternative, and I want them to think about this. If you do that, if you love your child in their sin, which I'm, I'm saying we should love our children regardless, always. But if we condone, I guess is a better word, if we condone our children in their sin, because we want to be accepted, we're actually leading them straight to hell. We're actually patting them on the shoulder as they walk straight to the flames of hell and not warning them. But the worst thing that a parent could do is condone a child in their rebellion against God uh, as they go and cheer them on because their eternity is at stake. Um, I believe I shared with you before we got on the air, I, I, I had this issue come to us at the church that I'm currently at. This was about three years ago. We had a vacation Bible school, and a family began to come, and uh, they had a, uh, a little girl who was uh, five years old, and she was always dressed to the nines in dresses and all these different things. 
and I got to talk with the family and, and they began to come to Sunday morning worship and uh, lo and behold, they expressed after a few weeks, they wanted to join the church. And I was elated. I said, you know, we're so glad to have you here. You're, by the way, your little girl is, is just beautiful. You always have her dressed so nicely. And the lady looked at me and she said, well, she's actually a he. She's transitioning. And now note, this girl was five at the time. Uh, this girl had no idea of her sexuality at this time. Okay, so this was clearly on the mother's end, pushing this because of who knows, popularity or what whatnot. But I had to sit down with this family, with this mother, and I walked them through scripture and I told them that I loved them. And I told them that I wanted them to come to our church and I wanted them to keep coming to Sunday morning to hear the message. But I did tell them, but you cannot be a member of this church condoning or, or accepting this sort of lifestyle. And she was upset at first, but I, I took her through scripture. I showed her where God had called it sin, where, where, where God had called it a practice of sin over and over. And by the time we got done walking through scripture, this mother looked at me and I never will forget. She said, pastor, I know you're telling me the truth. I'm just not ready to accept it. And they never came back. Mm. Well, and you never know the impact that that that's exactly the kind of situation that I was talking about earlier when I said there's tension in this. But if you did so in a loving way and you never know how uh, God is going to use that in their lives down the road, perhaps even right. already. You know, the, the misnomer uh, is that uh, Christians hate uh, people that are homosexual. And that's not true of the of the true Christian the true Christian, the true follower of Christ, loves the homosexual. Uh, they, they want the homosexual man or woman to come to the truth of Christ because they don't want them to perish eternally. Therefore, they don't condone their sin, not because they hate them, because they love them. Uh, the, the example I use many times with my congregation is, uh, if your child was playing in the middle of the road and there was a uh, 16-ton semi, barreling down toward them and the child was unaware and I looked at your child playing and I just said to myself well I don't want to ruin their fun and I'm afraid if I if I yell at them it'll hurt their feelings I'll just stay quiet well that would be crazy because the child would die what would be acceptable is if that truck is barreling down the road toward your your child that I would run out there and tackle your child even if it hurt their feelings and skin their legs up to save their life and that's the same thing with the homosexual agenda. The Christian screams the truth of God at them, not because they hate them, but because we love them and we want them to be saved. Yeah. And, and just practically, how, how can we, uh, with, with, with this entire, th- these are distinct communities, probably, I, I think we should say that, the, the transgender community, and if it is a community even, and, and, and the LBGTQ community, but but with with that sort of thing that we, we've been very clear on this episode about truth, but are there any practical guidelines for for fellowship, for example? I mean, I, I, th- I think if we are if we are mature Christians, we ought to be able to have dinner with a gay friend and and uh, and, and to be a good testimony and tell them the truth. Um, how, how do we how do we interface in community with those who struggle with those sins? Well, Jesus was the perfect example. He dined with sinners. He, he, would, he would go to them. You know, we as Christians 
you hit it on the head. We don't retreat into our own little bubble because these people are are sinners. Well, we were we were once where they are. We were once practicing people uh, who loved our sin more than Christ, and, and we still fall into sin. The only difference is for the Christian, they now have a broken heart over that and they repent of that sin. But but I think absolutely that we should go to the lost world. If we have lost uh, friends and family who are living this lifestyle, we should embrace them as far as, as, as fellowship. We should embrace them as far as going to dinner and, and going out and, and witnessing to them. There, there is a line of fellowship when it comes to membership within the church, obviously, because we know that the church is the redeemed body of Christ. It's not a country club. It's not a, a building. It is, it is the saints. Uh, so that is the, the the bar right there, but but yeah. no fellowship as far as as far as our engaging the lost world and loving them and and talking with them that that is absolutely the calling we have as believers. Well, and this has been such a helpful conversation. I'm wondering if I could just ask you one more uh, question because this audience, this listener uh, to Relentless Truth, this audience includes a lot of uh, young parents. And if what would you say to or perhaps what do you say in your church to young parents who are parenting children? Because parents now, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not envious of, of, of what they go through at this age, all these cultural issues that we've already talked about that really start with the uh, secularism and then postmodernism, this denying who God is. Um, they're, they're facing all of that. And I, I know it's too broad a subject for a podcast, but what would you say in general to the listener who says, I want to be sure I get this right in my family? Well, I, I would say, I would say really, really discern uh, the truth of God's word over anything, uh, over, over what your child wants, uh, over even what your neighbor or your friends or even what's popularized in the world. Uh, search the scriptures. You know, I, I've shared this. I tell my congregation all the time. I don't want anybody to take the word pastor for anything. In fact, don't even take my word for for anything. I, I'm I'm not the authority. God is the authority. Uh, go search His word and listen to uh, listen to godly men who preach the truth. You know, you, you you can find anybody to justify your position. You can find, uh, and I'm using quotation marks when I say this. You can find pastors, and I use the quotation marks because they're not really pastors who will condone homosexuality and so twist the scriptures uh, that they have people falling at their feet because, uh, because they want to believe a lie so bad. Um, search the scriptures yourself. Compare scripture with scripture and pray that God would reveal the truth. I, I think that's one of the greatest uh, tools that we have is prayer, is communion with God. Um, John, uh, the book of John, the gospel of John, Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. And I believe it was R.C. Sproul who, who kind of quipped that that nothing is not a little something, spiritually speaking. Uh, we, we can't understand the things of God without petitioning God to give us the strength and knowledge. Uh, I would say that to the parent, to begin with the Word of God. That's your source. That's your baseline for anything. Not the Word of man, not, not my Word, nobody else's Word. Go to, go to the source and ask yourself one question. Is this true? And if it's true, then nothing else matters. No opinion matters. No preference matters. If it's true, then eternity is at stake. And and where would you tell the young Christian family, perhaps they've just come to Christ to, to believe, to have saving faith, and they want to do the right thing for their family? 
where where would they start studying in in scripture is there a is there a good uh place for them to go first yeah yeah obviously everybody has their different recommendations and it is uh it's subjective of course but my favorite uh my favorite book to point people to, in fact, my favorite two books would probably be First John and the book of James because they are, uh, as it were, litmus test of the faith of what a true believer is, especially First John. Uh, it goes through these these tests. If you want to check and see if you're truly a believer, read the book of First John. We won't pass these tests with flying colors. We will see uh, faults in ourselves when we read the Word of God, but but when we read these faults, we ask, am I trying to repent here? Am I striving to to be more Christ-like in this area? Or is this something that I'm just kind of accepting and saying, no, I'm throwing my nose at you, God. I'm going to continue to live my life how I want, and uh, and you can just deal with it. So I would say First John. I would say James. Yeah, that that's very helpful because I think sometimes people start and—, and uh, you know, they might they might be in a church that uh, has a sermon series of some kind going on, and they just don't know where to go for the basic uh, truths of the faith. Um, I, I I would say uh, that the New Testament is is an easier place to start than the Old Testament, and and there you know you're right. There are all kinds of um, theories about where where best to start, but I think those those two are a, a good suggestion for young families, and I I. I think we we so often. And I'm glad you mentioned prayer because we we kind of understate that, don't we? We 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 sometimes will. I'll, I'll even say this: uh, all we can do is pray, uh, when in fact that that is the most important thing that we can do. So I think that's good advice as well. That's right. Uh, well, well uh, I think it was Paul Washer who one time in a sermon uh, said, "I can tell you how weak you are uh, by asking one question: How often do you pray?" And what he meant by that is spiritually speaking, as Christians even, we can fall into the trap of uh, charging hell with a water pistol and trying to do all of these great things in the name of the Lord and evangelism and missions. But at the neglect of prayer, all of these are just meaningless activities that have no power. Uh, they're just words being spoken without covering our efforts in prayer, petitioning God to say, Lord, Give us, give us the strength to do this, Lord. Work through our words, God. Uh, work through the reading of the Word of God. We are powerless without you. Uh, so I think, yeah, many times, and and I can fall into this trap just as well as anybody. It, it's kind of common in the Christian lingo to uh, flippantly use prayer by saying, "Hey, we'll pray about this or whatever." But but truly, are we taking that to heart? Because without prayer. Uh, no amount of evangelism and speaking truth is going to work. Prayer is is the the battery, if you will, a communion with God that that's going to power anything. Uh, I'll put it this way: if anybody tells me that they can uh, they can win people to Christ apart from prayer, then what they're saying is the power is in me. I don't need God. I, I can do it without Him apart from Him, and that's simply not true. Well, that's right, and I I don't want to lie to people when I when I say I'm going to pray for you. I I need to make a note of that because I'm forgetful enough that I, I will forget. And I, I want to be sure because I've just promised them that I will prop that that is that is probably uh, I could leave that word out, I guess. That is the most meaningful thing that I can do for another person. And and if I, if I promise to do it, I want to I want to deliver. Well, this what I'll do many, many times when I uh, when someone asks me to pray for them. Uh, I will stop right then and there and say, can I pray for you now? <laughs> because if we walk away, I probably won't do it. Yeah. I'll forget. 
I, I just want to ask you one one more question because this entire conversation, this has been a blessing and your your pastor's heart comes out every time we talk. And I was telling you earlier how much the listeners uh, appreciate these episodes. And I, I'm just wondering, uh, Charlie, if you could just talk about just for a moment in closing that there's tension around this subject that we've tackled today and we've just scratched the surface and, and, you know, this format only allows us to do that, but this, this whole subject of transgenderism, but how, how do you get to the point? What, what is it that you're, you, you embrace these difficult issues and you're not afraid of the, the tension in some of these issues where, whereas there are pastors who kind of tiptoe and, kind of want everybody to be happy and, and, and hold hands and feel good about themselves. And I know you don't get pleasure in these difficult conversations and we don't, we don't pick these topics just to be controversial, but, but how do you get to the point? What in your thinking where you, you embrace some of the tension? I mean, that, that's a, that's a real sign of maturity. in 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 my opinion, I think it's, I think it's maturity from growing in the faith, but could you just comment on that for the person who says, Hey, I'm just not that strong. And I, I want to be stronger. Uh, I, I don't think it's so much strength that is, as it is fear. Um, I fear God more than I do man. Uh, I know that this conversation uh, and this topic brings tension and people cringe at it and it can even be off putting to, to people. Uh, but I would much rather temporarily hurt somebody's feelings by telling them the truth then, then them go straight to hell and I stand before God and be reprimanded for preaching an inerrant or a false gospel. Uh, so so I, I have a, a fear of standing before God saying something, uh, having said something that's not true. Um, I, I have no power outside of the Word of God, outside of God's Word. And again, I tell my congregation this, outside of reading the Scriptures, I'm just a bumbling fool. I have nothing of any worth to say. My opinions don't matter. My, my preferences don't matter. Uh, all I have is the Word of God. And when we speak the Word of God, uh, when we proclaim the Word of God, even though it draws a dividing line in the sand, we have nothing to fear because all authority has been given to Him, and therefore He has given us that authority to preach the Word to us. Uh, we're just speaking the message, as yeah. I'll say many times. Don't don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what's here, <laughs> what the Lord has said. Uh, th- this is the truth, and there is a truth. Uh, so I think that we have to be solidified in our mind that number one, we don't live in a postmodern world. There there is truth. Um, and, and for somebody that would proclaim, uh, you know, I think it was was uh, Francis Francis Schaeffer who, when he was alive, he kind of put this forth, but if, if there was no truth, if somebody says that something's not true, ask them, was that statement true? Because if there yeah. is no truth, then that's not true. So it's a house of cards yeah. is what it is. That is a declaration we, of an absolute truth, isn't it? To say there is, is. no truth. Yeah. We, we live in a world that is full of truth, uh, but we have people that are blind because they do not want to believe the truth. And it goes back to what you said in the beginning. It is a Romans one playing out right before our eyes. Well, thank you for sharing these thoughts, and that's a, a that's a rich blessing. Under underneath all of that, before you even get to that point that you just described, is is a knowledge of of who God is and who man is and how God relates to man, and that only comes from um, scripture and prayer. Well, primarily comes from scripture and prayer. Uh, we could add the sacraments too, but but. 
um, there, there is, uh, no, knowing God, it allows us to, to fear him and, and to, uh, to have the kind of respect that, uh, scripture, scripture requires. And I, I just think these are important truths to discuss. So thank you for being here again and, and helping me scratch the surface on this, uh, very challenging topic. Yeah, thank you so much, John. Again, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, folks, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. It is good to have you with us from week to week. Uh, We'll have Pastor Charlie Parrish back again. Uh, Please uh, don't hesitate to send along an email using our contact form on the website, which is johnwarrenmedia.com, or you can send an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.